This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen along with you. As the baby boomers age and people are living longer, the numbers of people over age 65 is growing. And long-term studies suggest that 10 to 20% of those aged 65 and older may have mild cognitive impairment. But what are the ramifications of this problem and what can be done to treat it? Here with some answers is Dr. Amy Sanders. She's Assistant Professor of Neurology specializing in Cognitive Neurology at Upstate Medical University. Welcome, Dr. Sanders. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you very much for having me. So first of all, what is mild cognitive impairment? Well, we can think of it in two ways. One is just as a simple descriptive term, not necessarily as a uh, specific disorder. But when we describe somebody who has mild cognitive impairment, what we're really saying is they're no longer normal cognitively for their age, whatever that age may be, but they're not yet so significantly ill from a cognitive problem that we would consider that they have uh, dementia. So is it a matter of degree then? If you think of a continuum, would you say it's, it's a matter of a degree, some malfunction, some limitation. Definitely. And the, the idea of a continuum is a very good one, because if you imagine being uh, people who are normal for cognitive age on the left side of the continuum, and all the way over on the right are people who have some sort of dementia. In between, there's a big empty space. And in fact, uh, about 25 years ago, a neurologist at the Mayo Clinic by the name of Ron Peterson recognized that there was this empty space and actually kind of invented this diagnosis as a way to fill that empty space because he recognized that people don't go to bed of a Monday night over on the left side of the diagram with normal cognition for age, but wake up Tuesday morning on the right-hand side of the diagram with dementia. But there's something that, there's a, a, an intermediate stage through which people proceed going so, from cog being cognitively normal to dementia. So that's and nowadays we call that intermediate stage mild cognitive impairment. But that suggests that this is a process and that in some way you're in, as you said, an intermediate stage. Does that mean that everyone who is termed mild, mildly cognitive, with mild cognitive impairment, does that mean they go on to necessarily have this more advanced form of dementia? Or do some of these people, does it go away? So it's a, it's a curious state. Uh, after we've made the diagnosis, and there are specific ways that we go about doing that, but after the diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment has been made, um, one of the things that we determine is whether or not memory is involved. Is memory part of the mild cognitive impairment, or is memory not part of the mild cognitive impairment? If memory is involved, on average, we say that people have roughly an annual risk of progression from mild cognitive impairment to dementia, in this case usually Alzheimer's disease, of about 12 to 15% per year. If memory is not involved, all bets are off. So let's talk about that. So what does it look like in when you're in that middle zone, so to speak? What are the symptoms? What are the kinds of attributes or, or problems that people face? So the kinds of things that a doctor might hear uh, from their patients would be things like, I can't concentrate anymore. I'm forgetful. I, it takes me a long time to learn things now. Uh, I keep losing my keys. I can't come up with the word that I want when I want it. Uh, and then it's incumbent upon the doctor to determine, 
are the complaints really those that are associated with normal cognitive aging? And we certainly know that as people get older, it takes longer to learn new things. Uh, it takes longer to remember things we've learned in the past. We don't process information as quickly as once we did. Uh, it takes us longer to get a, the word that we want. Word finding is usually impaired. Well, or word, it starts it's not to impaired, change. but what, when people have... Delayed a tip of the tongue phenomenon and they can't quite come up with the word that they want, but 15 minutes or 15 seconds later, it pops into their head. We call that blocking or tip of the tongue kind of phenomena. And those are perfectly normal for cognitive aging. Frank memory impairment. So it's not that you put the keys on the coffee table instead of the table by the door, but somehow they wound up in the ice cream container in the freezer. That's not normal. And that's a signal that there's something very, very wrong. Somebody with mild cognitive impairment is probably going to have more the keys are on the coffee table instead of the, the place where you usually put them, but they're not in the freezer. So it may, it, for some people, it is an intermediate stage between normal cognitive aging and a later dementia. And for others, it isn't. And we, as I said before, we, we make um, the diagnosis and specify whether or not memory is involved. And if memory is not involved, then it's much less likely that people will progress. And it is much less likely. It's much harder to predict with any kind of um, reasonable precision or accuracy. So I saw some terms amnes amnestic uh, mild cognitive impairment and non-amnestic, and that has to do with, with memory problems Right. So somebody who has amnestic mild cognitive impairment, there we're saying memory is involved. Non-amnestic mild cognitive impairment, memory is not involved. So if memory is not involved, the kinds of thinking skills that might be affected have to do with decision-making, perhaps, or remembering sequences of events, or could of a be, complex task, that could kind be, of thing? Could be anything. We divide thinking into five main and admittedly overlapping groups. But there's attention, memory, language use, what we call executive function, which are things like executive, re uh, uh, sorry, um, abstract reasoning and problem solving, multitasking, the bane of everyone's existence these days. <laughs> uh, so executive function and also visual spatial abilities. And for somebody to meet criteria for mild cognitive impairment in general, they need to have at least one of those five areas of cognition in which they have a documented quantitative impairment. That sort of presupposes that they've had cognitive testing that has specifically looked at each of those five domains. So you Physicians should not be diagnosing mild cognitive impairment just on the basis of a single screening cognitive test given in the primary care doctor's office. But when there's more specific testing, we need to have an impairment in at least one type of thinking. And in non-amnestic mild cognitive impairment, that presupposes that there would be an impairment in attention, language, executive function, or visual spatial ability, sometimes more than one. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen, along with neurologist Dr. Amy Sanders. We're talking about mild cognitive impairment. So let's get back to executive functioning. You're saying in the non-amnestic type, that can be impaired. So things like decision-making, problem-solving, that kind of thing yes. will, be, mm -hmm. will be impaired. So you were alluding to the diagnosis. How, how best is this diagnosed? If the question comes up, if you're in your primary care doctor's office and you're complaining or your spouse or someone uh, that you know very well you're with is complaining about this problem, you're saying it's not sufficient to do a quick screening 
and make the diagnosis. You really need to have some more correct. There are actually testing. there are published diagnostic criteria, and in fact, that sense of, of a complaint, Doc, there's something wrong with me, whether it's that I can't remember where I put my keys or I can't decide what to have for dinner tomorrow night. Something feels not right to me. That complaint is a key component of the diagnostic criteria. There must be a so-called subjective complaint. Doc, there's a problem. There also has to be objective evidence of an impairment in at least one type of thinking. And that goes back to what we were discussing a few moments ago about there should be some sort of area-specific cognitive evaluation. And that usually means that uh, somebody gets referred to see um, a physician like myself, or uh, they get referred to a special kind of psychologist called a neuropsychologist for an in-depth cognitive evaluation. So subjective complaint, objective evidence of a problem, but you need to have normal general cognition. So that screening test that the primary care doctor may give in his or her office, the results on that should be normal in order to make the diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment. Often what happens in clinical practice is that somebody has a screening test and they score below the normal range and get labeled as mild cognitive impairment. But that actually violates the, the uh, definition. published definition of the disease. So, but the point is if you pass the exam, isn't it quite often that the primary care physician will say, oh, you're not having any problems? I mean, they, they may almost, well, right. So it's if like they're a false, a false sense of security. Yes. And if the primary care physician doesn't understand what mild cognitive impairment is, and a lot of people have a very sort of vague and ill-defined kind of general descriptive understanding of what mild cognitive impairment is. But in fact, there are specific criteria that we want people to meet. Do you ever do things like, you know, brain scans, MRIs of the brain? I mean, do you ever do a cerebrospinal fluid tests, biomarkers? Is there any other thing to be done? That sort of depends on where one is practicing and uh, what, uh, what the real diagnostic questions are. When somebody comes to see me with a complaint about their, their memory, I can't tell just by looking at them whether they have mild cognitive impairment, they're normal, or maybe they're in the early stages of something like Alzheimer's disease. So my basic workup always consists of some simple blood tests, screening blood tests, usually for the levels of vitamin B12 in the bloodstream, and I also check how well the thyroid gland is functioning. Deficiencies in either of those areas can actually cause cognitive problems that are very easily treated. I always want some sort of brain pictures. A CAT scan, I'll live with it if I have to, but I really prefer that people have a, an MRI, magnetic resonance imaging. The MRI diagnoses absolutely nothing, but it gives me a sense of how healthy the brain looks. Is it, does it look like there's a lot of atherosclerotic trouble in the brain? Is it shrinking? Is it shrinking in a focal way, one area more than the other? That's the kind of thing that I look for on the MRI. So it gives me helpful additional information, but doesn't diagnose anything. Cerebrospinal fluid is often used in research protocols, and there are biomarkers that are sort of monitored over time and that will change as people go from being normal through the mild cognitive impairment stage and then may progress to uh, something like an Alzheimer's dementia. They're not usually used clinically. They're pretty expensive. So you, are, you run a clinic that does basically attempt to make these diagnoses. Right. right? I have a, what I call a neurocognitive clinic within the neurology department at Upstate. And primarily what I do is diagnose people's cognitive problems. So sometimes I diagnose people as being, as having normal cognition or normal cognition for an older adult. 
numerous times I've diagnosed mild cognitive impairment of both the amnestic and non-amnestic variety. And then I also, if, if people meet criteria, will make a diagnosis of, of dementia. Some of the patients who come to me for the diagnostic evaluation stay in the clinic to get their care and others go back to their primary care doctors. I don't want to run out of time, but people can reach, I guess, that clinic at 464-4243. That's an upstate Correct. clinic. Yes. But I will have a link on our website as well. Very briefly, in the little bit of time we have left, what kind of treatment and prognosis is there for this issue? If one reads the published research, it shows that there's no change in long-term outcomes if we start treatment with, say, an Alzheimer's medication at the mild cognitive impairment stage. So it stage. doesn't really help. I don't usually give people prescriptions for medications, but there are lifestyle things that people can do that may help uh, in the short run and also in the long run. So cognitively stimulating activities, something like doing the daily New York Times crossword puzzle doesn't matter what you do as long as it engages your brain and you do it on a regular basis. So it's brain exercise. Brain, brain activity, yes. Uh, I don't recommend those sort of computerized training programs. The evidence base there is not very, very strong, but something that engages your brain. How about uh, social activity? Does that play Social a role? activity is fantastic. It, there's actually evidence that shows that it helps, it is, that it's cognitively protective, probably by helping people avoid getting depressed but we don't know that for sure. But social activity, we know a strong social network is protective. How about general exercise in general? Also very good. The brain loves to have good brain flow. Avoiding multitasking, getting good rest, uh, eating the so-called Mediterranean diet. Uh, olive oil, not Crisco. Fish, <laughs> not beef. Those are good points, good tips. Prognosis in the little bit of time we have left? So people who have mild cognitive impairment that involves their memory have, on average, a 12 to 15% risk of uh, transitioning to Alzheimer's disease each year. And for people with non-amnestic mild cognitive impairment, it's very hard to make uh, prognostic statements. Some stay in that stage, some revert back to normal, and some do progress, usually to other types, non-Alzheimer's types of dementia. Well, this is a lot to take in, but very it's hopeful information at the same time. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. My guest has been Dr. Amy Sanders, Assistant Professor of Neurology, specializing in cognitive neurology at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. <laughs>